I miss George W. Bush. I wish you were president right now. We wouldn't be in this mess. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the Clowns and jokers, beware, but don't and be afraid. From Pacifica Radios, KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego. 99.5 FM Ridgecrest and China Lake. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast. 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove. 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org. On the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR in Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com and yes we've got another uh, GOP debate special for you today tonight whenever you happen to be tuning in glad you could join us once again yes the pack of republican 2016 presidential candidates gathered in Las Vegas to debate on Tuesday night once again there were two separate debates each of them went on for what seemed like forever the earlier kitty table debate, as we call it, featured uh, the apparent also rans Senator Lindsey Graham, former Senator Rick Santorum, former Governor Mike Huckabee, and former Governor George Pataki. And then the main primetime debate featured, well, all of the other apparent also rans plus Donald Trump and Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, all right, actually, the other primetime debate candidates did include. Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Rand Paul, Governor Chris Christie, Governor John Kasich, Governor Jeb Bush, Dr. Ben Carson, and some lady named Carly Fiorina. Now, the CNN debate was held in billionaire GOP megafunder Sheldon Adelson's Venetian Hotel and Casino. Sheldon and his wife Miriam were the biggest single outside spenders on the 2012 election. And as the Demos organization points out... They personally shelled out some $91.8 million, and that was back in 2012. That was just when they were, you know, getting started. That $91.8 million uh, that purchased them their own Republican debate last night is just 0 0.37% of their personal worth. The $91.8 million uh, to the Adelsons is the equivalent of you giving just $285 to e either major political party. Demos notes that some 322,000 American families would have to give $285 each 
to match the amount that the Adelsons gave in 2012. And as I say, that was just when they were beginning. I suspect they will spend even more money in the 2016 race. That just kind of gives you a background of, of where all of this is coming from. Now, the entirety of both the undercard and primetime debates was supposedly meant to focus on issues of national security, particularly in the wake of the Paris terror, terror attacks, the San Bernardino terror attacks, the entire Los Angeles school system being shut down on Tuesday in response to what now appears to have been a hoax terror attack or a, a hoax terror threat, at least. The fact that other terror attacks like the Planned Parenthood shooting just days before San Bernardino uh, or the uh, Charleston, South Carolina church shootings or America's nonstop gun scourge didn't even come up in either of those two debates may tell you much of what you need to know about the GOP view of terrorism these days. As Jesse LaGreca noted on Twitter after the Kitty debate, uh, he said, so basically the entire GOP plan for 2016 is another massive war and more tax cuts for the rich, but more racist than ever. There was no talk about guns, no talk about climate change, which the uh, which the U.S. military has long regarded as a top national security risk, a, a threat multiplier, if you will. Not even a single question about the historic U.N. Paris Agreement uh, to take on the challenge of global warming. That was just days earlier, three days earlier, the largest, most sweeping worldwide pact in history, struck by almost uh, 200 nations, didn't even come up. But there was a lot of talk about going to war, boots on the ground, destroying ISIS, going to war, going to war, bombing, uh, and uh, tens uh, of thousands of more bombs than we've already dropped for years on ISIS already, as Colonel Morris Davis, the chief prosecutor at Gitmo for several years, noted after last night's debate, we got to hear nine candidates who avoided military service bluster about how tough they'll be using other people's kids as fodder. Joining us once again to talk about all of that fodder, and she hasn't missed a broadcast post-debate analysis to date, because she may be even more of a glutton than me, uh, is our reigning, returning, and uncontested post-debate analysis champion, the great Heather Digby Parton, otherwise known as Digby, from Digby's Hullabaloo blog. She's also contributor at Salon, recipient of the 2014 Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. Heather Digby Parton, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks for having me, Brad. Uh, also last night, as the longest serving member of Congress, former uh, Congressman John Dingell of Michigan tweeted, uh, he said, I'd call this a damn circus, but that would be offensive to actual clowns. Well, uh, Dingle is certainly right, and these things uh, started out as a circus, and, well, I don't know what they've become at this point, but I thought it might help to find something to laugh about here, perhaps an actual clown. And to that end, I want to welcome uh, the uh, actor and brilliant stand-up comedian, musician, former star of the award-winning Showtime drama Queer as Folk, and now radio host of the Hal Sparks Show Mega Worldwide, 
As heard on Saturdays in Chicago on WCPT, the one and only Hal Sparks joins us. Hey, Hal, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm glad uh, me and my 60 friends can show up in one car together. Uh, yes, I so. appreciate you and all your clowns, and thank you for being had. As a matter of fact, Hal, I don't think... I know you've called in to the broadcast before, but I don't think I've actually had you as an official guest. Is that correct? I think that's true. That may be true. My apologies for that, and I hope to uh, make up for it today. Well, we'll see how yeah. you do. We'll see how it goes. Uh, sure. Also, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, my co-host on the Green News Report, is here as always. Yes, uh, yes, I am here. Are you? Are, barely. I know you've been uh, pulling clips and quotes after last night's, uh, what, six or seven hours of debate? And it was so entertaining. I know Oh, you have no idea. I know. I do. I was there. Uh, Heather, Hal, and Desi, very quickly around the uh, table here, I like to... Uh, uh, point out any particular conflicts of interest, uh, Heather. As, as as well, you've made this very concise. Uh, your conflicts of interest concerning candidates. Have you yet chosen a candidate for this race? <laughs> I have not. Um, but as I have said before, in full disclosure, yes. I do work with a with a political pack that has endorsed Bernie Sanders. So uh, that's not a personal endorsement, but I am involved with the group that has endorsed him. Other than that. I'm waiting for Donald Trump to finally convince me, and boy, you know, he's, he, he's coming close, let me just say. I know, I know, he's good. Uh, Hal, Hal Sparks, uh, any, uh, any confessions you'd like to make as far as a support endorsements for any candidates? Don't be ashamed, it's quite fine if you have. I just want to be transparent here. No, no, sure. Uh, I was I was really comfortable kind of mentioning who I was interested in or whatever until I realized you're both maniacs for even mentioning the potential of Donald Trump being president. So <laughs> I've got to shut myself in a bunker right now. Uh-huh. Um, Smart. So, uh, yeah. Um, that being said, um, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm obviously a, I've been a Hillary supporter for quite some time. I love Bernie Sanders. I feel like we're we have a uh, a win-win going on in the Democratic Party right now. So my, you know, I don't have any indecision about it. I think it's going to go that way. So I'm comfortable saying so. I do think Bernie is, is and continues to be a valuable part of the conversation and elevates the entire fight. But so, um, but you're yeah. a Hillary supporter. Is that what you're what you're saying? I would say so. Yeah, okay. at this point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I All think right. in large part, um, there's just a couple of areas where I think they share ground in a really you know comfortable way, and mm-hmm. in the and in the area of guns, Hillary finds herself to the left of Bernie in something. So. That was the that was my tipping point. Okay, uh, and, yeah. and uh, Desi Doyen, do you have a candidate yet? I have not endorsed a single candidate in this race. That was easy. That was quick. All right, well done. <laughs> uh, and and for clarity, I haven't either. I and I probably won't because I don't endorse uh, candidates. I, I I don't support any candidates. I feel like they got enough support. I support the voters. All of that said, we'll get into some specific clips from the GOP debate uh, last night throughout this hour. But I want to take a helicopter view here of the proceedings for a moment. Uh, Heather, I believe uh, that you and I, as uh, I've noted before, were out in front inciting the very realness of the Donald Trump candidacy back when uh, everyone else thought it was he was a joke. And it was the same day he jumped in. And I think you and I agree that he was for real. I have seen nothing that would stop him from, or at least until yesterday, I had seen nothing that would stop him from uh, becoming the nominee. Uh, I saw something recently. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, it seems to me at this point we've now got a two-man race between Trump and Cruz with no quote-unquote legitimate establishment Republican in sight. 
to challenge either of them at this point. Uh, what what is your thoughts on that? And did uh, last night change uh, change things for you one way or another in that regard? Uh, no, I mean I think you're right. Uh, it it is looking more and more that way. I mean obviously we're still you know no actual humans have voted for anything yet. So thank you for you know that it's out. Uh, it's it is always important to wait and see what happens. And there are precedents for, you know, major front runners who are just assumed to be, you know, headed directly for the nomination collapsing, um, you know, at, at in the very beginning. I mean, Howard Dean comes to mind. I mean, it was, uh, he was at this point in the race in 2004 assumed to have the nomination in hand, and we all know what happened there. However, there is something different happening this time. The first, <laughs> the most important is, is that they have two front runners who, uh, you know, uh, if anybody's banking on both Cruz and Trump collapsing, that's gonna, that's starting to look a little bit unlikely, right? I mean, at least one of them is going to carry on. And the other thing is, is that there's just plenty of money. I mean, one of the things that happened with Dean was is that he ran out of money very quickly when he, when the air went out of his campaign. That's not going to happen with either of these two guys. Trump, of course, can write his own checks, and Trump is, and Trump can write his own checks, and Cruz has a bunch of very, very hardcore right-wing billionaires from Texas uh, supporting him both mm-hmm. personally and in his uh, yeah. his super PAC. So that's not going to happen. So it's, I agree with you. It's looking more and more like that. I mean, on paper, I think everyone assumed that the establishment lane, as they're calling it's the, the new term of art. There's two lanes to the nomination. One's the establishment and one's the anti-establishment. And they thought that Rubio would be the guy. Uh, if not uh, Jeb Bush, and you know Jeb just uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm afraid I hate to I hate to parrot Trump, but you know not looking very energetic. Um, <laughs> but uh, Rubio is also seemingly not getting the job done, and people are looking at his performance, not just in debates where you know he holds his own. I mean he seems like just a regular mainstream Republican, mm-hmm. but. He's not doing the work on the ground. He doesn't seem to be putting together a reasonable campaign in Iowa or New Hampshire. Doesn't seem to be showing up very often. And he didn't uh, even. He. I. I don't even think he's showing up in the debates. To be honest, uh, Heather, um, I, I was you know very unimpressed with him last night. Uh, let me get. I want to get get to some some thoughts from Hal here. Actually, let me throw in the the the. Uh, caution, Heather, since you mentioned Howard Dean, the converse side of that is sort of John Kerry, who came out of nowhere back in uh, 2004. He was sort of the... Uh, and stayed there. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> he, well until, yeah. no, no, but until yeah. he got the nomination, he was effectively sure. the, the Jeb Bush of that race, and, and then people mm-hmm. started voting, and things changed very quickly. So, Hal, uh, your thoughts on yeah. this, and, by the way, were you one who thought that the Trump candidacy was initially uh, a, a joke that he wasn't uh, for real and if so how, how do you feel about it now can he win the actual nomination well, as you see it? it's sort of a trick question in in that i don't actually think the republican party is for real right now and i think <laughs> that this talk of establishment candidates um is is kind of you know two decades behind the reality of the republican party these guys understand that ted cruz um and Donald Trump are establishment candidates because the Republican Party has now established itself as the party of ransack military policy, uh, xenophobia and homophobia, and 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 parsing sexism. So the, 
there at, at a certain point you have to you have to start admitting that these guys are the mainstream Republicans, and that the other ones are just playing at it just by being slightly more stoic or or mm. at least appearing to try and attempt to maintain a level of statesmanship to it. But that doesn't make them establishment necessarily anymore. It can make them the old guard. But in the case of Rubio, he's the one who's acting the most like somebody who's actually running for president, ironically enough. <laughs> His behavior in the debates is of somebody who is, you know, came up through student government, is working to actually be part of a functioning government. Jeb Bush just seems like he, you know, it, it's like a wrestling and he finally got the tap. He's been outside the ring and his brother got a, you know, an arm bar and it's his turn. And Trump just realized at one point that, he, you know, you can buy your way into office in his mind. I still think it's a uh, Trump candidacy is a Bill Clinton prank, but that's just me. Because, <laughs> you know, the story was, and this is, this is the right-wing conspiracy theory about it, is that, you know, the, the, the Clintons want him as a shoe-in to guarantee Hillary's presidency. And apparently he was at the party, you know, for their, you know, their daughter's wedding or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Clinton had said a few words to him. I think he said it as a joke, and Trump, being who he is, took it seriously. He's like, <laughs> you, you ought to run. You, you, could be, you know, hey, I, you're, you're a smart guy. You're right. I am a smart guy. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. And there's no one better and good and me and yes and bigly. And then he just decided to run because he's a maniac. Well, I but I uh, but do you do you agree that the, his run is now for real? That he's actually yeah, wants well, the nomination and he, he actually hopes Brett, to he win. Literally, he, he literally. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. for real in politics. It's for real in you know in what's left of the Republican Party. The mm -hmm. the reality is that yesterday he declares that he is now going to stay within the Republican Party, now that he's at 42%. Like, you know, this, this is the kind of presidential campaign he's running. I'll, you know, when I'm winning, I'll, you know, I'll jog, right. essentially, when I'm way ahead of the pack. That's silly. Well, let, we're, I want to yeah. talk, I'm going to talk about that and, and why I think he's, uh, the Democrats are underestimating uh, Donald Trump. We'll talk about that in a little bit after we get to some clips and so forth. But there's one point that I want to bring out in this Donald Trump uh, Ted Cruz uh, face-off that we've sort of been uh, talking about here. Uh, I have noticed, uh, as Heather and I have talked about, I, I've mentioned, I see nothing that will knock Trump off his throne at this point. But I did see something yesterday, and uh, Des, this is clip 16. I, I, I talked about it on, uh, on this show yesterday. Uh, Trump went after Cruz, uh, mm -hmm. called him a maniac, and mm -hmm. then... Uh, uh, right wing radio turned on Donald Trump and they turned on him hard in a single right. day. H uh, Hannity, uh, uh, Hannity, uh, uh, Limbaugh, Mark Levin, they all turned on him. And uh, I think that scared the hell out of Donald Trump, as uh, we saw in the debate yesterday when he was asked about uh, having called Donald Trump. Uh, ha I'm sorry, having called uh, Ted Cruz a maniac. Here was that exchange between, uh, well, Trump and uh, I think it was Dana Bash. Just this weekend, you said Senator Cruz is not qualified to be president because he doesn't have the right temperament and acted like a maniac when he arrived in the Senate. But last month, you said you were opening open to naming Senator Cruz as your running mate. I did. So why would you be willing to put somebody who's a maniac one heartbeat away from the president? But I've gotten to know him over the last three or four days. He has a wonderful temperament. <laughs> <laughs> He's just fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. That, that was it. 
That was it. He completely backed off. Trump never backs off of anything, but he backed off of going against Donald Trude. Uh, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, what's his name? Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Uh, Heather. Uh, you may be onto something. I know. Yeah. Donald Cruz. No kidding. Uh, Heather, uh, Donald Trump's really smart, isn't he? Uh, well, uh, he certainly caught that. I'm with you exactly on what was going on there with this Rush and Levin um, shot across the bow. I, I wrote the same thing, which was when I heard it. I went, oh, this is a warning to Trump mm-hmm. that there are certain, you know, this, and, and people were acting like this was very unusual. Limbaugh does this all the time. You have to listen to him to understand how he works. He runs this, this shop. You know, yep. he's the guy who sets the, you know, sets the rules here. And he was telling Trump, you know, no, you don't go there. Now, it's interesting because today uh, Rush uh, very fulsomely praised Trump I'm for sure his, uh, his wonderful, uh, his communication, his connection with the people and mm-hmm. how he's really tapped into the zeitgeist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the truth is, is that both he and Levin, virtually all of them, except maybe uh, Laura Ingram, it's kind of hard to tell with her at the moment right where she's going, but among all the talk radio guys and gals, uh, they love Cruz, of course, because mm-hmm. Cruz is the real thing, right? Trump is kind of, he's a little iffy in some areas, and they're not quite sure they can trust him, but Cruz is absolutely down-the-line, hardcore, doctrinaire, Wingnut. I mean, there's no <laughs> doubt about where he where he is yep. in their ecosystem. So they prefer Cruz, and in fact, Limbaugh basically named Cruz the winner last night. But he went on and on and on about Trump and how you know wh- what he brings to the table. And it occurred to me after I after I listened to this this morning that uh, you know what he's really you know th- this goes both ways. Trump's followers are also Rush Limbaugh followers. There's only so far Rush can go. I mean, he can, he, he, he's the one who mm-hmm. sets the rules, but he can't go too far either. Trump had a right. good night last night, I think. So his, uh, you know, Rush had an obligation, despite the fact that he likes Cruz better, to come back and pat Trump he on can't, the back. He can't, and, turn, he can't turn on Trump and, too hard. Yeah. Yeah. These guys are sheepdogs right now. Uh, they, you know, that's, that's their job. They sheepdog these candidates in the direction that they yeah. need to go. Mm-hmm. And it's, none of the criticism is taken as permanent or serious. Um, so it allows them to, you know, to parse words where the candidates don't, in some cases, and do damage control. Um, the, the reality is, is that part of Trump's machinations deal with the fact that he his big chunk of missing voters is, is clearly evangelicals, which is the group that Cruz soundly holds on to. And so the idea that he would have him as a running mate is a strategic decision to bring those people into the fold, um, you know, in, in their own fantasy that that exists. I will. Uh, yeah, no, go ahead. Finish up. I got to get to a break. Oh, I'm go just ahead. saying that the Trump Cruz ticket is probably the greatest gift the Democrats could hope for. Um, uh, in many ways, but it will embarrass the American like society for a generation. Well, as I have been saying, Hal, be careful what you wish for. We'll talk about that in in uh, in just a little bit. I I see, by the way, uh, Ted Cruz right now as becoming the establishment quote-unquote establishment candidate. He's sort of like a Donald Trump for people who are too embarrassed to admit that they support Donald Trump. But we're going to take... That's bad. <laughs> that is really bad for them. Yep. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, and we will be back with uh, more of our special coverage of last night's uh, GOP debate.
Street in uh, in in where in Las Vegas with Heather Digby Parton and Hal Sparks. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Senator Cruz, you have said you would, quote, carpet bomb ISIS into oblivion, testing whether, quote, sand can glow in the dark. So my question is, how would intentionally killing innocent civilians set us apart from ISIS? We're talking about ruthless things tonight, carpet bombing, toughness, war. And people wonder, could you do that? Could you order airstrikes that would kill innocent children by not the scores, but the hundreds and the thousands? Could you wage war? as a commander-in-chief. And for the Russians, frankly, it's time that we punch the Russians in the nose. Well, it's apparently good for the Republicans because that's all they were talking about last night was war, 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 bombing, bombing, bombing at the uh, CNN GOP debate in Las Vegas. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here along with uh, my guests to uh, cover the festivities on Tuesday night. Heather Digby Parton of Salon and Hal Sparks of, well, of Hal Sparks, I guess is the best yeah, way to put it. That's enough. Okay, yep. that's all. The, all that needs to be said. All right, that was pretty much the entirety of uh, of the debate, and I want to get into some of these clips. It is hard to know where to even start because there was so much, frankly, warmongering last night. So let's start with uh, the only guy I think, the one guy on the stage who was, <laughs> for the most part. For the most part, not calling for endless war, uh, a guy who frankly shouldn't have even been on the main stage, according to CNN's own rules. But somehow they let Rand Paul into the debate. Again, he's the only guy who doesn't seem to be for 100 percent war all the time. Uh, Here's what Rand Paul had to say about it. I think we defeat terrorism by showing them that we do not fear them. I think if we ban certain religions if we censor the internet, I think that at that point, the terrorists will have won. Regime change hasn't won. Toppling secular dictators in the Middle East has only led to chaos and the rise of radical Islam. I think if we want to defeat terrorism, I think if we truly are sincere about defeating terrorism, we need to quit arming the allies of ISIS. Well, quit arming the allies of ISIS. Not sure who he was talking about, but maybe uh, some of them are our allies as well, Saudi Arabia and so forth. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Hal Sparks, uh, your thoughts on, on that comment from Rand? Yeah, if you'll notice, that was uh, one of the moments where uh, I, I think uh, Carly Fiorina said, That's, you sound like Barack Obama. You yep. sound like Barack Obama. That was the biggest uh, like cut against them that you could level was you sound like Obama or Hillary. Let's just start this on the on the understood premise that this is the Jesus party we're talking about. This is this is the Christian identification party. This is also the party that thinks that 
we need to bomb innocent Muslims because the Muslim faith is inherently violent. And to protect ourselves, we as a Christian nation need to carpet bomb large portions. However, the people who act out against us are savages and a clear indication that their religion is a failed one of violence. The, the lack of the bifrenic nature of thought on that stage is stunning. Did and, you say bi- no bi- better show bi- than bi- Rand Paul is the voice of reason? You, yeah. you said bifrenic nature? Yeah. Yeah. What does like, that mean? It's like schizophrenic, but it's literally I separated see. into two halves, two I opposite see. thoughts, two opposing thoughts that can be, be... Remember, these are the party of Christian Ayn Rand followers. Gotcha. So this, well, <laughs> uh, that, that, that their claim... Their level of cognitive dissonance is incredible. That claim to be Christian, claim to be Ayn Rand followers hey. when it's convenient. Uh, Heather sure. Digby-Parton, uh, your thoughts before I get to Ted Cruz and carpet bombing? Well, I just want I need to stand up for Rand Paul a little bit as a uh, as a bloodthirsty warmonger. I don't think it's fair to to sort of try and portray him as the peacenik in the group because he did in fact last week introduce a bill in the Senate which got 10 votes um which would have prohibited uh, all people from 34 different countries from coming into the United States. Now, mm-hmm. granted, right. he did not limit it to, to only Muslims. He did, you know, he was willing to ban Christians from coming in as well. But that is the level, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to carpet bomb uh, Syria or, uh, the way that the others do, but he is willing to completely close the doors of America to any anyone even wanting to visit from 34 different countries. So, you know, just, I just wanted to get that out there so Thank people didn't, yeah. listening didn't think that Rand was, you know, going squishy on him or anything. And, and my apologies to people who actually are against war and who are actually in favor of peace that I have to cite Rand Paul. That's the best I can do out of this particular group. So uh, in yeah. my attempt to be fair, uh, all right, let me uh, get uh, your well, thoughts. Yeah. say about one thing you could say about Rand Paul is that uh, uh, unlike the others, he knows how to do selfish right. The, <laughs> yeah. his, his, all of his peacenik-like behaviors all come from a profound sense of selfish and you know, self-protection. And, and in that, I would rather have that than someone whose selfish act and requires them to carpet bomb innocent civilians, which is the Ted Cruz of the world, which should lead you right into this place. Yeah, and pr- pretty, lo- <laughs> pretty low bar, uh, if that's what if yeah. that's the best we can do, I admit. All right, um, speaking of lowest bars of all time, Ted Cruz was asked about uh, his, call, his call to carpet bomb ISIS into oblivion. Senator Cruz, you have said you would, quote, carpet bomb ISIS into oblivion, testing whether, quote, sand can glow in the dark. Does that mean leveling the ISIS capital of Raqqa in Syria, where there are hundreds of thousands of civilians? What it means is using overwhelming air power to utterly and completely destroy ISIS. To put things in in perspective, in the first Persian Gulf War, we launched roughly 1,100 air attacks a day. We carpet bombed them for 37 days, saturation bombing. Right now, Obama is launching between 15 and 30 air attacks a day. It it, it is photo-op foreign policy. The Obama administration, like a lot of folks here, want to search everyone's cell phones and emails and not focus on the bad guys, and political correctness is killing people. To be clear, Senator Cruz, would you carpet bomb Raqqa, the ISIS capital, where there are a lot of civilians? Yes or no? 
you would carpet bomb where ISIS is, not a city, but the location of the troops. No, for Jesus' love right. of God. Uh, let's, for the record, can we, all, can we also understand that during the Iraq war where he's talking about with Bush Sr. was bombing things, we were alone in that, effectively. One of the reasons why we're only launching the, the fight that we are is because there are a lot of other countries, not the least of which is France especially right now, Stepping up their bombing. Well, and so, Hal, let me yeah, let me yeah. correct you to say that it's, yeah. to regard it as oh we're only doing this or we're only doing we have dropped tens of thousands yeah. of bombs right. in this fight on ISIS. We're nearly out. Yeah, we're literally, it's going to take what five <laughs> years to replenish our bomb supplies, um, which by the way, you know, makes some of the supporters of the men who were on stage last night have little dollar signs in their eyes of like course. cartoon characters from a 1930s warmonger movie. Heather, does right. Ted Cruz even know what carpet bombing actually means? Obviously not. Either that or he's decided that the word... Well, look, he thinks It's a rug that, reference he, yeah, to the people he th- there. Yeah, he thinks that, that the word precision bombing is too politically correct. <laughs> so he yeah. has right. to use the word carpet bombing. Carpet bombing is a war crime. We don't mm-hmm. do that. Now, I mean, even, you know, the Bush administration the first in the first Gulf War, even they didn't do carpet bombing. I mean, we're talking about, you know, something that is, it, of course, it is by definition does not designate, you know, does not discriminate about who these bombs are hitting, which include, of course, civilians, women, children, you know, innocent mm-hmm. people. So he he's using this term, and I don't know if he doesn't understand the difference between carpet bombing and precision bombing, or whether or not he is just you know being. It's a pathetic attempt to seem, to seem macho. Yeah, to, to seem yeah to. to seem tough, and and yeah. to you know to to and, and and then you know of course I don't think we can ignore this this earlier comment which he didn't make in the debate, but Blitzer referenced was that we'll, we'll see, we're going to see if we can make sand glow in the dark. Yes. That is a, a direct reference, reference to nuclear yep. war. Yep. And, and I don't know that anybody else has, has gone there. I mean, Trump even kind of, you know, he, he's afraid to, to go that far. Well, so, you know, that, that was, that's kind of a very ugly thing. He managed to kind of evade it last night, but that's a, that's a very, and, and I don't know if that was what Trump was referring to when he said mm-hmm. that Cruz doesn't have the, the temperament. The temperament, um, yeah. But uh, he's right. <laughs> that's in one, in yeah, one that's, way, that's, you know, once that's Trump exactly is right on that what one. he was talking about. Because, yeah, he's been running that quote for a while, and that sand glowing in the dark part made yeah. certain people in the Middle East who are our allies start getting really creeped out. And Trump actually heard from some of them, clearly, mm. um, during that period, because these guys have been buddy-buddy. Um, he's who they're going to reach out to. Is like you gotta, They're going to say, you got to beat that Cruz guy because he wants to, you know, send a nuke over here. Um, and understand that they're, they're thinking these things in context of the fact that a group of super right-wing Christians were caught trying to smuggle a nuke into, and get one, acquire one, and smuggle it into the Temple on the Mount so they could blow it up and bring around Armageddon. Um, this, you know, this is the kind of storyline they deal with over there that makes this sound like that. Like, where does it end? And that's where it gets into serious policy, as clowny and stupid as these guys appear and as lost in this conversation as they genuinely are. The words that they say have impact, do matter, and it and a lot of people react to that. That's where you'll see a little bit of where the sheepdogging actually means mm-hmm. something, is when you know our, our allies over there start calling the few on the stage, like... Like the uh, basically the entire Hispanic community has reached out to Jeb Bush at certain points 
to try and delve, you know, bring that conversation back. Which well, there, miserably. there was a contest for the manliest man on the stage last night, it seemed like, and uh, there was a little concern about, uh, frankly, allies or enemies. I don't, ha- I don't think I have the clip right off the bat uh, from John Kasich saying we need to mm-hmm. punch Russia in the nose. Sure. Uh, and I'm not sure what that gets us, uh, but uh, it, was also, it wasn't only Kasich, it was also Christie and a lot of others who were talking about uh, shooting down Russian planes. Here's Chris Christie talking about, right. uh, about shooting Russians, uh, uh, the, the possibility of calling for a no-fly zone over Syria, and then shooting down Russian planes if they violate it. Would you be prepared to shoot down that Russian plane and risk war with Russia? Not only are we prepared to do it, I would do it. A no-fly zone means a no-fly zone. Wolf, that's what it means. See, maybe yeah. maybe because I'm from New Jersey, I just have this kind of plain language hang-up. And yes, we would shoot down the planes of Russian pilots if, in fact, they were stupid enough to think that this president was the same feckless weakling that the president we have in the Oval Office is right now. Now, all of that is quite uh, manly, and I'm, and I'm you know, very impressed with how macho Chris Christie is. But It's maniacal is what it is. <laughs> it's that is, is that is, there's nothing manly about that because, and, and this is, by the way, um, manly is being used in a pejorative in this circumstance, if, it, if that's how it's expressed. I would rather have womanly in that regard if it just means some thought was put into it. But the, the essence that, that's what he's using as the lever is, if I'm willing to shoot down a pilot, drifts into our airspace, and if he doesn't get out fast enough, we kill that person um, of one of our U.N. allies just to make a point about our own sexual prowess in the political field, like, uh, rather than be weak, perceived as weak and feckless by a guy who wears short, shirtless on a horse and persecutes lesbian bands. It's absurd. I should uh, Heather uh, Heather Digby Parton. Let, let me point out, and Hal is absolutely right as far as uh, you know manliness. I don't mean that as an insult to either mm-hmm. men or women, uh, <laughs> or in this case, Carly Fiorina, who was just as uh, right. muscular against uh, uh, Putin and how she's going to do all sorts of. Th- do I have the clip? Well, actually, let me play this clip and then let me get your thoughts, uh, Heather, on this uh, clip number 12. I didn't say I would cut off all communication with Putin. What I said was, as president of the United States, now is not the time to talk with him. I know Vladimir Putin. He respects strength. He lied to our president's face, didn't bother to tell him about warplanes and troops going into Syria. We need to speak to him from a position of strength. So as commander-in-chief, I will not speak to him until we've set up that no-fly zone, until we've gathered our Sunni Arab allies and begun to deny ISIS territory, until I've called the supreme leader of Iran and told him, New Deal. And I will not speak to him personally until we've rebuilt the Sixth Fleet a little bit right under his nose, rebuilt the missile defense program in Poland right under his nose, and conducted a few military exercises in the Baltic states. And let us remember one other thing. Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are responsible for the growth of ISIS because they precipitously withdrew from Iraq in 2011 against the advice of every single general and for political expediency. And before and and I think I lied, Heather. Hang on one sec. I want to play uh, Rand Paul's response to all of this, and I'll I'll let you uh, tee tee them both up for you. Uh, clip number fourteen, Desi. Well, I think if you're in favor of World War III, you have your candidate. You know, here's the, here's the thing. My goodness, what we want in a leader is someone with judgment, not someone who is so reckless as to stand on the stage and say, 
Yes, I'm jumping up and down. I'm going to shoot, shoot down Russian planes. Russia already flies in that airspace. It may or not, may not be something we're in love with the fact that they're there, but they were invited by Iraq and by Syria to fly in that airspace. If we announce that we're going to have a no-fly zone, and others have said this, Hillary Clinton's also for it, it is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for World War III. I mean, I think when we think about the judgment of someone who might want World War III, we might think about someone who might shut down a bridge because they don't like their friends. They don't want to, you know, they want to get a Democrat. That, of course, is a shot at Chris Christie. So, uh, Heather, uh, what? I don't even know, other than uh, showing what a tough guy you are, what do we gain? What do any of these candidates gain from uh, from this swordplay with with Russia? What would we gain from shooting down a plane? Am I missing something here? No, it's it. And in fact, it was that th- that was probably scarier to me than anything else that that we heard last yeah. night because because this is an escalation even beyond the usual ISIS chest pounding. You know, kill them all and you know, glass them and whatever else they say. Mm-hmm. This really going hard after the literally saying that they want to start world war three in fact in the kitty debate rick santorum actually said that he said we are in world war three and they talked about shooting down russian planes in that debate as well yep. this is not something that just sort of came up you know it oddly out of the blue randomly they they this is something obviously that people are talking about and that they actually are are taking seriously and it's kind of funny because when you talk about you know manly macho men as as hal says you know the guy riding around shirtless on the back of the horse is vladimir putin who they seem to have a real kind of crush on uh the, mm-hmm. the, this is who they love i mean this is the yes. guy they really admire out of all of this the the man who you know presents himself as this is this super macho warrior and, 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 you know, I don't know if somehow or another they're trying to get his attention, like a three-year-old, you know, hit, hit Vladimir Putin. Gee, you know, <laughs> would you, would you pay attention to me? I mean, I don't know what this is, but it was very, very strange and, and kind of terrifying, really, because, you know, this is a kind of fragile relationship. What's happening in the Middle East is a very complicated set of alliances and, and shifting enemies and friends. As you know, not that they seem to have any any knowledge of that. I mean, you know, from one minute Iran is the enemy, then it's Assad, then it's ISIS, then ISIS and us, and you know, I mean, it's it is complicated. One of the reasons why it's a very thorny and difficult problem to solve, and yet they seem to see this all in very much a sort of a Manichaean battle between good and evil. And you know, if you try and pin them down on who it is, who's the evil one well, over there? Yeah. It's very you know, they they don't seem to be real clear on that. Well, and now they're drawing they, Russia yeah. into it. Right. For, um, um, by the way, I think that is part of our strategic aims in the region, is drawing Russia into that. And I think that's part of the hand that's being played by our State Department and the military. Wait, you're, wait, being, you're, and, saying, you're saying that you think our State Department wants to draw Russia into a war? Uh, not so much into a war, but basically put Assad on their plate. So make him their responsibility. Um, and, and in doing so, they've drawn them in, you know, Russia will do their own military acting because they don't seem to have another behavior pattern. Um, if, if it was a way to just get them economically on the hook, I think they would settle for that. Um, but in many ways, that's not who Putin is. That being said, understand that Carly Fiorina was talking about we need to, um, you know, work with the Sunnis who are our allies. Saddam Hussein was Sunni. Um, <laughs> the, the, honestly, like if anybody had at that moment said, you do realize Saddam Hussein was Sunni, right? She, her head would have exploded, and she would have called the person a liar. The, the, you know, the Sunni and Shia fight right now that's going on there, the Assad regime, they're Alawites. That's like, 
Mormons running um, an area that Christians and, and Jews were fighting over in the states, for example, as far as division of, of ideology, it, it, or, or even further, Scientologists. There's, there's such a wedge group away from it that even the, like, the Iranians and the, and the actual Sunnis, were they to, the Sunni rebel groups fighting him, were to take over or whatever, they would effectively create a similar government circumstantially to the original Iraqi government under Saddam Hussein. There's very little difference there. So this idea that we need to, you know, talk, basically, Ben Carson, that quote he said about there's an area that's really neat, and all it basically needs is a big ammo dump and everything would be fine, <laughs> is, 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 it just points to the ignorance about the fact that there are actual human beings involved in a centuries-old fight mixed with geopolitical strategic mistakes by ourselves, by the British, by themselves, um, all tied up in this thing, and this idea that they're somehow going to cartoon their way into, okay, that guy, you, okay, this time around, you're Darth Vader, and this time around, <laughs> you're Luke Skywalker, is where they are mentally. It's it is. It is, and they see this in cartoon terms. I mean, just to point yeah. out one thing before we go, uh, before I let Carly Fiorina go, she <laughs> said again, I know yeah. Vladimir Putin. She does not know Vladimir Putin. She met him no. in a green room in some TV right. show they did in China, and she has been caught dead to rights on that fact-checked, 20 Pinocchios, pants on fire, that she has some relationship with him. Now, granted, it's not as bad as the lie that Donald Trump told about knowing Vladimir Putin, which means which he actually doesn't know him at all. But nonetheless, she, she just repeats these things. I don't know what it is about Carly Fiorina, but she is, I think she's literally a pathological liar. She is caught mm -hmm. out time after time, and she just says it over and over again. I don't, you know, I don't, know, I don't know how she felt like she could get away with that, but apparently, you know, I guess maybe the I real think, thing is well, that nobody's paying any attention to Because she she can get away with it because she's running in a Republican primary where right. being and a pathological liar actually helps. Hang on, uh, right. Hal, I gotta get yeah. I gotta get to a break here. We'll come back uh, for more uh, more coverage of the GOP debate and specifically why I think Democrats ought, including uh, Democrats, including Hal Sparks here with us, uh, ought to be careful what they wish for. Uh, we'll come back with Hal and with Heather Digby Parton, with Desi Doyen and myself, Brad Friedman, right here on the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Jeb said when they come across the southern border, they come as an act of love. You said in September 30th that ISIS was not a I, I, Am I talking or are you talking, Jeb? I'm you talking right back. now. I'm talking. You can go back. You're not talking. talking. You interrupted me, September 30th, Jeb. you said You apologize, Jeb? One of the things that you'll notice if you look through my life is that I don't do a lot of talking. I do a lot of doing. Shut Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last few minutes of our uh, special coverage of the CNN GOP debate in Las Vegas at the Venetian on Tuesday night uh, with uh, Salon's Heather Digby Parton and, of course, TVN Radio's Hal Sparks. Okay, guys, I have... Uh, 
I have been arguing that uh, uh, Democrats ought to be very careful what they wish for. I know uh, Hal mentioned that he's very excited about the fact that either Donald Trump or Ted Cruz could be the candidate. Uh, but let me play this. Uh, I got two clips I want to try to squeeze in here. Uh, this is uh, clip number 17 when uh, Hugh Hewitt asked if uh, Donald Trump was uh, now w- willing to commit that he would absolutely not run as an independent. Are you ready to reassure Republicans tonight that you will run as a Republican and abide by the decision of the Republicans? I really am. I'll be honest. I really am. I mean, people have been putting me the crutch. I really am. I have great respect for the people I've met through this process. I've never done this process before. I've never been a politician. I mean, for the last six months, I've been a politician. But I will tell you, uh, I am totally committed to the Republican Party. I feel very honored to be the front runner. And I think I'll do very well if I'm chosen, if I'm so... So fortunate to be chosen. I think I'll do very well. Polls have come out recently, say I would beat Hillary. I will do everything in my power to beat Hillary Clinton. I can promise you. I think that that was one of Donald Trump's, if not the best moment for him in that race. Heather Digby-Parton, I think uh, Donald Trump with that comment uh, and one other I'll play in a second uh, may have. Well, actually, with that comment won over a lot of uh, Republicans who were afraid of him previously, but who might, might say, okay, he's for real. I'll vote for Donald Trump. Well, Rush Limbaugh, you know, gave him huge uh, kudos today for saying that and said he sounded very sincere. It was obviously from the heart. So I think that's probably how a lot of people took it. And frankly, you know, that line where he says, I'm honored to be the front runner, mm-hmm. that's the most humble thing I've ever heard him say. Yep. I've never heard him say anything like that before, that he, you know, he actually felt it's some still gratitude. still had the word front runner in it. Well, hang on. Well, like, of like, course. But, you know, yeah. this is Trump. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I, I mean, he maybe any... Respected by the party, understood by the voters. He said, "If I'm honored to be the front runner, that's a. I mean, you have to understand the language is super important with this guy." Uh, hang on, Heather. Hang on, Hal. I want to let Heather finish her thought there. Uh, yeah, please. Because, oh, oh it, yeah. yeah I, I mean, I really was pretty pretty much finished. I think I think he uh, I, I think he did himself. Uh, some good last night in the debate, he, despite the fact that ninety percent of what he said was completely idiotic, uninformed, and stupid. But th- his, that, well, that particular thing was uh, very important because it set some people's minds at ease that he was going to just check out and run third party, which I think has been in the minds of some of the more moderate types. Uh, maybe uh, something that they were concerned about if, with him. If they, uh, I think he won over a lot of not crazy Rush Limbaugh Republicans, if there are any left in, in the party at this point. Uh, Hal, you, you, do you think, mm-hmm. am I right? No, I think I, I think that's an expected thing. The guy's at 43%. It's safe for him to say it now. There's, anybody who's a thoughtful Republican who didn't check out and become a conservative Dem a few years ago, or is running as an ind- you know in the independent crowd because they're embarrassed by their Bush votes, um, n- knows better. I'm not uh, Cal. I'm not giving uh, Trump yeah. credit for uh, right. you know saying something courageous. I'm saying that in saying that. He's going to give comfort to a lot of people, a lot of Republicans who were afraid to otherwise support him. And I think you're going to see his numbers go up because of that. I think the same argument could be true that they now feel safe to support the person they want to support because he's not going to run against them. So, I mean, there's as much mm-hmm. argument to be made that some of the Bush voters could feel a little safer going back in his direction as a serious candidate, knowing that, you know, now that Trump isn't going to uh, capsize that. 
So there's, I think there's equal arguments both ways. And if you're talking about the sensible members, they were never with him to start with. You're, you're t- we're talking about, you know, 43% of, of a party with a membership that is now at whatever, 30% of, of the Democratic Party, insofar as actual, like, involved voters. So I'm, I don't find that as impressive as a, as a safety moment. And in, and, mm-hmm. and in the idea that he would beat Hillary or that he's a, a genuine candidate when it comes around, I think is, is, is ridiculous. Okay. I, I don't buy that for a second. Right. I appreciate the intellectual game of it, but I don't in any way think that he's a serious candidate. I think that's the smartest thing Jeb Bush said on stage last night. Unfortunately, um, with the crowd that they rolled in there, including Rand Paul's booster bus, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Adelson's extended family, you know, the, obviously they were, you know, anybody who didn't get cheered was uh, was seen as, you know, wrong. Okay. Which is not how politics should go, especially from a party that, you know, uh, prides themselves on having a no-spin zone, uh, you know, in the form of Bo- Bill O'Reilly running things for them. And and being the the non politician. Okay, like I've got. Don't follow polls, right? I've got. I've got just a minute or two left, but I want to put this forward. And and does uh, this is clip uh, ten? I don't have time to play this entire clip, but this is um, uh, uh, this is what the reason why I think Democrats ought to be careful what they wish for. Well, two reasons. One, I know how easy it is to game the election system, the electoral system itself. Mm-hmm. And right. that said. Uh, Heather, uh, your comments on on this comment from Donald Trump last night. The Middle East is totally destabilized, a total and complete mess. I wish we had the four trillion dollars or five trillion dollars. I wish it was spent right here in the United States on our schools, hospitals, roads, airports and everything else that are all falling apart. If Donald Trump gets the nomination, starts talking about the wasted trillions in in Iraq and everything else and how we need to build schools, hospitals, roads, airports, etc. I think there's a lot of people in the middle, if there is such a thing, uh, who are now who, who who might go ahead and pull that lever secretly for Donald Trump. Heather, your oh, thoughts? Um, well, I, I don't actually I, I don't think people will be able to ignore the rest of Donald Trump. Yeah. But that was a very interesting comment. And particularly since so many Trump voters, they say that what their main thing that they say they like about him is that he says what they're thinking. He validates what their, what mm-hmm. their beliefs are. And if that's one of them, uh, I actually am going to take a little bit, I'm going to be a little more optimistic <laughs> about our politics, because that was something, you don't even, you're not even going to hear Hillary or Bernie Sanders say that. Um, because no, but you might hear of, Trump say it after he wins the nomination. Maybe. And but I, you know, I kind of think he kind of slid by on that one. I have a, I have a strong sense, I, and I didn't hear Rush go after him either, and I was surprised because I, I pulled that clip myself for my piece for Salon this morning mm-hmm. because I said, you know, mm-hmm. if that's what these people are really thinking, then maybe there's hope for for the GOP after all. You know, I don't know where that goes, but it does show. You know, both he and Cruz have. Slight deviations from the super neocon hawkish line of of um, Bush, Rubio, and Christie. So you know, it, to that extent, and it's not much. Mm-hmm. It's a little ray of hope that maybe the anti-establishment establishment 
might not take us as far down the road to World War Three as we think. That's all I'm just you know I'm not uh, yeah. saying you know I'm not I'm not making any predictions. And, just putting that out there. And Hal Sparks, uh, give me thirty seconds on how terribly yeah. wrong I am about that, so that I can play it for you in a few months. Yes, <laughs> for that for that to be true for for Trump, for people to switch over to Trump's view simply because he was. Um, smarter about the Iraq war uh, than everybody else in that stage. You have to think that all those middle-of-the-road voters have no gay friends, no Hispanic friends, no women friends, um, no yeah. friends outside the country, um, don't, and, and actually do believe the country is, is you know, in, in a solid position on a couple of areas, mainly the economy currently on its way up, and uh, health care. They have to be, you know, they'd have to be as so anti-Obamacare um, as to be mad. So, I don't think that's the case. I think you forgetting everything else about it and being able to look into the face of your partner, your friend, you know, uh, any minority human being you know um, is too big a price to pay for basically what you would get from Hillary and Bernie in practice anyway. Um, that's, so, yeah. That's Hal Sparks. Uh, you can yep. check him out as ever at HalSparks.com. Are you, are you still on uh, Lab Rats on Disney XD? I am, XD? Indeed, and I'm directing as well. So mm-hmm. uh, the show airs, I think we're strip showing all through the uh, holiday season, so five days a week on, on Disney XD. And then my show is Saturday on uh, WCPD Radio in Chicago. Hal Sparks uh, radio program, Mega Worldwide. Very good. Check him out at HalSparks.com and, of course, on the Twitters at Hal Sparks and uh, Heather Digby Parton. Check her out on Twitter at Digby56 over at Salon and, of course, at Digby'sBlog.blogspot.com. Digby, you're, you're not with us for the Democratic debate next week? I'm so sorry. I uh, uh, You know how much uh, I would love to take that... Oh. Sorry, <laughs> All right. Well, wake up. Uh, we'll get we'll get you back thereafter. At least I hope. My thanks to both of you. Of course, my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and to Salon's Heather Digby Parton and TV and Radio's Hal Sparks. If you missed any portion of our program today, download it at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. You can send me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And as ever, you can say mean things straight to my face on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. All right, uh, we'll be back with you. Same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,